This is HEC Media. Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for ATC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we are able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Today, our author is two-time Newbery Award-winning writer Kate DiCamillo. We spoke with her at the Ledoux Middle School in Ledoux, Missouri, as she was on her summer book tour in 2018. We talked with her about her then-most-current book, Ramey Nightingale, by Candlewick Press, as well as her then-upcoming companion book, Louisiana's Way Home. New York Times best-selling author Kate DiCamillo's wildly popular first published novel, Because of Winn-Dixie, was eventually adapted into a movie in 2005. Her first Newbery Award came for her book, The Tale of Desperu, in 2004, and she repeated the accomplishment with the book Flora and Ulysses in 2014. In the world of children's literature, she writes picture and early chapter books, as well as novels like Rainy Nightingale. She knows how important it is to keep the voices of her characters true to what her young readers will accept, and that's usually putting the stories in the third person. But one of her characters for a subsequent book kept calling out to her and made her break her format. This voice of Louisiana, who is um, one of the characters in Raimi's story, um, just would not go away. And I thought, okay, I'm going to tell this story. And so I was very reluctant to do it in, in first person because you give up a lot of control. Uh, and also it's so easy to make a mistake because that willing suspension of disbelief has to be there for the reader, okay. But Louisiana was not having it any other way but first person, so there you go. And that subject went on to be the lead in the book, Louisiana's Way Home, a standalone companion novel to Ramey Nightingale, the main subject of our interview today. We'll talk about the road to becoming a published writer and how this self-described introvert loves getting to see the young readers she writes for in person. All of that and more on this episode of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books, featuring the award-winning New York Times bestselling and former National Ambassador for Young People's Literature, Kate DiCamillo. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Brenda Madden. So you're on your summer reading tour, right? That's what's brought you here to That's St. Right. Louis? That's right. Are we first stop or are you, have you yes, been going? Yes, after this we go to Cleveland, so. Now that sounds like a really fun way to spend a summer. Well, I tell you what, anytime I, I, I have to say, I am genuinely passionate about reading. And so uh, to get out and talk to people, to, to connect with the readers, but also to talk to people about the importance of it. And also I served a couple of years ago as the national ambassador for young people's literature. You have to have a platform and you go out and talk about, you know, you, you pick kind of a theme for your uh, tenure. and. I talked so much about how I, I think we've forgotten sometimes what what a privilege it is to be able to do it, to have access to books, to be able to walk into a library and check out any book that you want, and also just the joy of it. So that's kind of, I'm, I'm so glad to keep on sending that message. It's funny because touring can be hard. It's a it's sort of this departure sure. from normal life. I, I mean, I, and I'm an introvert, you know, and, and it is, so I've been doing um, this, you know, uh, 
writing and, and, and being a writer on the road for 18 years now. And it's taken me a long time to figure out that um, as much as I am an introvert, I also really need and love this part of it because it's that the connection that I feel as a reader, um, it, it, it becomes manifest when I go out and, and talk to um, readers who are reading my books, but reading other, and so it's just like it, it, um, it, it's a wonderful thing. It's very tiring to me as a shy person, but it's also, it gives me so much to connect with people that way. What's that moment like when you kind of walk in and you see all those little faces looking up sometimes, at you? Um, sometimes it makes me cry. <laughs> you know, it's like it's so overwhelming because it's that books matter. And you know, we, we hear so much, we're so worried about, um, kids and um, electronics and digital yeah and digital age and um, I just see so many kids holding books and the books really matter to them and so it's it's that and there's and so that's part of what makes me tear up just these kids as readers and then the other thing is you know there's still a part of me that's like um, a hoping I'm gonna get published you know and so I can't believe that that I'm you know, that I've it's gotten real. to write the books, the books have been published and people read the books, yeah. Yeah, that's true because I still have every book that was important to me as a child. Absolutely, and that's something else that has happened more and more um, because I, that I have um, adults who come through the line who um, are teachers or parents and had the books, my books read to them and are now reading my books to their students or their children. And so that's something else that is just, you know, I, I, I cry a lot in the signing lines. Oh my so. gosh, that gives me chills just to think of that. Yeah, it's un yeah. unbelievable. To be that thread line through a family, wow. Which is the great thing about children's books is like what matters to you, uh, you then um, take into the classroom as a teacher or take to your uh, children uh, when you read to them. So it's great children's books uh, keep on going. So your current book now is Rami Nightingale and you've got a sequel or a part of a series now coming out in the fall, is that right? Yeah, they, I think that uh, the uh, publicity team is calling it a companion novel. So I always like to adopt their language. It's not really, I mean, it's, it is a standalone. So if you didn't read Rami, you could pick up Louisiana's Way Home, which is this next book and it would make sense and is but it's not necessary to read them in any particular order it's interesting too because on your website you note that you often get asked about sequels to I many do of your other works so much it, it, to the point where you know sometimes it's uh, relatively threatening uh, and and i've never ever felt compelled um to to go back and 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 revisit a character why was this story different? You know, it, it was not intention. Um, I, I, uh, I have a notebook where I keep um, a, like a running list of ideas and also where I'll just kind of like let myself cogitate. And this voice of Louisiana, who is um, one of the characters in Raimi's story, um, just would not go away. And um, it was, she just was so insistent and I thought, okay, I'm gonna tell this story, but this is the only book also that um, I've 
done in first person since because of Win Dixie. And so I was very reluctant to do it in, in first person because you give up a lot of control. Uh, and also it's so easy to make a mistake because that willing suspension of disbelief has to be there for the reader. Okay, you know, this is, but Louisiana was not having it any other way but first person. So there you go. I know you've said writing's hard, it's hard work, but was Louisiana's story easier in a way, having already it laid the groundwork with Rainey? Every, every book is hard in a different way. Um, and this one, the big struggle was up front in that I, I, I had the voice and I did not want to tell it in first person. So I spent a lot of time turning and trying to tell it, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do third person this way or I'll tell it via letters this way. So I'll have some from, and, and it, it only became easy when I gave up that battle and went f into full first person. And surrendered to... Uh, exactly. Surrendered is the perfect word for this child, Louisiana. Yes. Yeah. And of course, I have to ask, will Beverly get a book? I hope so. I loved Beverly. Oh, <laughs> you know, Beverly was uh, the kind of kid that uh, I, I very much wanted to be, where she was tough, capable, but also, you know, there's the um, moment in Ramey Nightingale where she goes in there and um, takes Alice Nebley's hand uh, and hums to her. And it's just like, I wanted to be brave in all of those ways. And I was brave in none of those ways. Yeah. Two more just about Ramey. I know a lot of the viewers watching this and a lot of the, the fans you'll meet tonight have read it, but it's still fairly new. Yeah, it is still fairly new. So. Um, it is uh, the story of Ramey Clark, whose uh, father leaves the family, and uh, Ramey gets this idea that if she enters the Little Miss Central Florida Tire Contest and wins it, her father will see her picture in the paper and um, come, come home. Um, and uh, I started the book. Um, with the idea of the Little Miss Central Florida Tire Contest, which seemed very funny to me. Um, and I thought it was gonna be just a funny book. And then um, it, I'm like, why is a kid like Ramey in this contest to begin with? And then I, I realized that this, you know, there was something larger afoot. And the larger afoot is very much connected to me because my father left when I was young. And um, I spent a lot of time trying to think, what could I do to get them back? You've written about children dealing with loss and parental loss, but as you mentioned, this is sort of the most personal almost. It is, yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it is absolutely the truth, and it's not the truth at all, but it is the emotional truth of, of and, and, you know, since the very first book, I've been answering the question, why is there a missing parent? And so often it's been the mother, and I've always said, well, that's kind of like a, I think there's enough psychic distance because it was my mother who stayed, and um, and then I finally like confronted the the truth head on and, and had the father go. What was that process like for you? Uh, I know, as you said, each book is hardened as its, yeah. its own way. How did that maybe uh, I don't want to say complicate, but how did that sort of create well, challenges? Well, it, it was one of those things where I realized um, relatively soon that I was um, uh, driving on very thin ice for myself emotionally. And, I, and 
for any time I'm writing a book, I never know what's going on. Uh, I, there are like larger themes that I can see out of the corner of my eye and I know my job is not to look at them. So, but that whole thing was heightened here. And so it, it became very perilous that I couldn't, I, I would mess it up if I examined it too closely and how it um, related to me. And also the other thing was it was like one of those, I've never had this experience before where every sentence felt like it had 20 other sentences underneath it. So it was like the first drafts were massive and then I started to just pare stuff away. You've talked about losing your mother um, not that long ago really. Could you have written this or gone down this road while she was still wow, alive? Wow, what a fascinating question. Probably not. And it's really interesting because Flora and Ulysses, uh, I wrote the Newberry speech for that, and it, it uh, ended up being very much about my mother and uh, what my mother gave to me as a reader. She never, ever failed me as a reader. And I gave that speech at the American Library Association and I realized afterwards, you know, there's a receiving line and you stand and talk to everybody, that what I had done was in a room full of librarians, people who I feel safe with, I had eulogized my mother in a way that it took that amount, it took like, you know, that amount of time to do. And I never fully grasped while she was alive this great gift that she gave to me. So I think that there's a progression there from that realization to then uh, the writing of Ramey. I think that there's, it's somewhere on a continuum. No one's ever asked me that though, it's very interesting. Well, I just watched it like two or three nights ago. So I think that was just, it was so raw for me too that I could just feel that the pain of, of that loss. Yeah, and also so just the recognition of, of the, the gift that she gave me. And it was just, it was so deeply moving to do that in a room full of people who um, believe in the power of story as much as I do and who work at doing what my mother did, which was to put books into people's hands, you know. It leads me to, to another question in that you feel like as a child, after at a certain age, you, you're sort of an open wound for a good couple of years there. Yeah. And then you kind of learn how to, mask it a bit, but it's still sort of there underneath. And then it occurs to me that as a writer, you have to open that back up in order to really do what you do. Yeah, um, yep, there's a quote from Catherine Patterson, which I can't remember how it goes, but you have to have, you know, your heart has to be absolutely exposed and you have to have the hide of a rhinoceros, both things. And it, those are, of course, contradictory, but Yes, it's true. I, it, it made me think for some reason when you were saying that of this is in, in Boston um, uh, about a year and a half ago and a, a 10 year old boy stood up and his question was, um, you deal with a lot of philosophical, we're in Cambridge, a lot of philosophical issues in, in this book and I just wonder why you're putting so much philosophy into a book for kids and I said, no one had ever asked me that question and I said, it's because um, kids are the ones that are willing to, to have those conversations because when you talked about closing down, that's part of becoming a, an adult too. So your heart closes up and also you stop asking those gigantic questions because um, they're so scary and because um, you get laughed at for, for asking them, but kids are still asking them. So that's exactly where they should be as in, in books for kids. Thank you.
Coming up in a moment, we'll get into Kate DiCamillo's path to becoming a writer from her childhood through the job she worked in order to support her career. Plus, she'll tell us how she stays motivated and maintains her constant output. I find the magic is entirely unpredictable. You never know. And it's the one thing that I've learned is like when you think I'm going to toss this aside, it has, that's the, the day it might open. So I just keep on, the, the magic is in showing up every day. That and a reading from her book, Ramey Nightingale, when Talking with Authors continues from HEC Media. Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. Did you always want to be a writer or was it something you were almost scared to want because it was so special and important? Or how did you evolve from a, a child who, who just loved books and words? Yeah, and you know, it's, when I talk about this in front of a group of kids, I'll say to them, how many of you have uh, had a writer come to your school? Or how many of you have come to another you know, library event or bookstore event where you've met a writer? And, it's probably like the majority of hands go up. And I say when I was growing up, um, one, we didn't do creative writing, and two, uh, I, I really genuinely never gave the writer as a human being any credence at all. I just didn't think, the books were so special, I didn't think that people had anything to do with them really, you know? And so I never thought about, oh, somebody can do this. And I got the idea, which I'm sure you know because I've talked about it uh, and making myself sound just as ridiculous as I am, ad nauseum, but the idea became cemented in my head in college at the University of Florida. Um, and when I had a professor say to me, you have a certain facility with words, full stop. You should consider graduate school, full stop. And I was you know, 20 years old and I thought, He's trying to tell me, you're super talented. Uh, you're gonna be a, a famous writer. Why should I bother with graduate school? So um, that's when I got the idea. And I didn't go to graduate school and I spent a long time wanting to write. And um, I didn't actually start until I was 30. How did you finally get over that hurdle? Um, I realized I was going to die um, talking about something that I wanted to do and um, it actually, the, and I don't talk about this a whole lot, but the, like the light bulb that went on for me was I ran um, and I, I, I would run two miles a day. And one day I got back from a run and I thought, I can run two miles a day. I'm not passionate about running, I, but I've been doing this for like a couple of years and I've committed to it. But I, this thing that I say that I want, I, I haven't done anything about at all. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to do two, two pages a day. Did you try other career fields as a way to escape I had it? no, <laughs> no, no other, nothing even approaching a career because I always thought I, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, I'm a writer, I'm going to be a writer. So I worked at Circus World, I worked at Walt Disney World, I worked in a greenhouse growing variegated philodendrons. I, I worked um, as a secretary at an ad agency, so I never, I worked in bookstores, I worked at a book distributor, but I never had a, a career. 
it's funny because I feel like when you are a writer or at least someone who loves stories that even when you're doing those other jobs in that job you're actually a writer observing them oh yeah that's Did you, find you know that? and and the great thing was that when I finally started to write uh, I had moved from Florida to uh, uh, Minnesota and pretty soon after I started writing and I got a job in a book warehouse and I, I, I got up um, really early to go to that job and I would write before I went in and so for the rest of the day it was just like the real work has already been done and I, I walked around with this just like this little golden ball inside of me thinking I've already done the real work and everything you know yes everything became something that could go into a story. You've talked so much about observing and how crucial that is. Were you like that as a child too, sort of drinking in the scene? Yes, and yes. I had a, a friend um, named Kathy Lord who um, would uh, ask to sharpen her pencil like 72 times a day so that she could walk from the back of the room up to the front of the room staring at everything that everybody was doing and with her mouth hanging open and uh, she was super interested in everything and so was I but I was afraid to stare so unabashedly and so a lot of times I'll think be like Kathy Lord on the way to the pencil sharpener that's that's your job yeah but don't have your mouth hanging open because Kathy was like <laughs> That is so funny, because <laughs> I remember that too, always being very snoopy, but then trying to cover, like, right. didn't want anyone to know I was right. watching them, no. but I couldn't, I was a, I was just a, like, pathological people watcher. Yeah, like, yeah. and, and, and I, 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 I still am, yep. What are your writing habits like now? So, I know you've, you live in Minneapolis. How did you end up in Minneapolis anyway? Nothing. It I, was kind of like a pre-midlife crisis. It's just like I knew that I had to do something different. And uh, I had a friend who was from there and was moving back and needed a roommate. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll go. And um, I knew nothing about it. I, thought, I knew it was cold, I, but I thought, how cold can it be? And I found out. <laughs> you found out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been there for um, 24 years now and I love it. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I forgot, what was the question? Oh. Oh yeah, well I don't know. No, we, we were gonna do we were gonna do writing. Uh, oh yes, routines. what's your, what are your habits like yeah. now as a writer? Um, so I started with that two pages a day thing, and um, and that's basically still where I am. I mean, I, I do multiple sessions of two pages a day when I'm in the final edits of something, but I always tell myself every time I sit down, okay, you can get up as soon as the two pages are done because I never want to sit down. And, and it's like a way to talk myself into it. As soon as the two pages are done, you can get up. Do you write all the time, like throughout the year, or do you take breaks after a novel? And I work? will take, like right now I've got um, a novel that I'm working on, and I've got something a little bit shorter that I'm working on, and so, and I do multiple drafts of something, so I'll take part of the novel, um, um, like through the second draft, and then I'll put it aside and come back to the shorter thing, which is maybe in the third draft. And so I'll go back and forth. And I'll give myself a couple days off in between three or four days. Do you find the magic happens when you're, you've taken a break and have time to sort of go over what you've written? Or is it, does it happen in the moment when you're writing? Uh, I, I'm waiting for the magic <laughs> at any point. Um, I, come find me. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm here, magic. I find the magic is in it is entirely unpredictable. You never know, and it's the one thing that I've learned is like um, 
when you think I'm gonna toss this aside, it has that's the that's the day it might open. So I just keep on the, the magic is in showing up every day. Do you know how your stories are going to end? I have no idea. No, which is a relatively terrifying way to write. You know, sometimes I'll have an image that I'm working towards, but I don't know how I'm gonna get there. And um, if I think about it too much, it's the same as you know thinking about themes and the deeper meaning of stuff, I'll mess it up so I, I don't. Once you've locked onto an ending, does it stick or do you, have you ever sort of tried different or? Um, I have, an ending has never um, seriously changed um, from, from draft to draft once I make it to the ending. So it's like, and I do kind of write in a linear fashion too, which surprises me. That's so. true. Some authors, right, will sort of jump around. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's it goes from start to finish. Even though uh, it looks like a crazy person wrote it. Yeah. Place is very important in all of your stories. Yeah, so you is. live in Minnesota, but you're a Florida girl, and Ramey yeah. Nightingale is set in Florida. Yeah, Florida. Florida really, really shaped me, and the the South really, really shaped me. And growing up on a a dead end street with. Um, uh, it was young families on one side, and on the other side there were three uh, widow ladies, Mrs. Lucas, Mrs. Lindemann, and Mrs. Broadfield. And we were welcome, uh, all of us uh, kids on the street, to come into their houses and talk with them. And that had a profound effect on me. We talk about how childhood has changed, but have children changed? I don't think so. I think it's the same profound need for connection and illumination and story that I had. That's, a, you know, I, one of the great gifts of doing this is um, being able to connect with kids in person um, and, and finding out how much the eight-year-old me is still so present, you know. And I've heard you mention that the title is the one thing that's easy for you. Well, the names are the one thing that's easy for me. So the oh, character, okay. names. character names. And the titles are, go into the very, you know, it's, I'm pretty, pretty good with coming up with titles, but the names are spontaneous almost. I don't know where they come from. They just kind of pop into my head. And the titles, I usually go back looking through the manuscript for a phrase that um, seems right. Your books have such a magical quality grounded in realism. How do you do that? <laughs> What's your secret? Um, there's that moment um, in Raimi where uh, she's in the nursing home and the floor is so highly polished that it looks like a lake. It's reflecting all of this light. And she has this sudden feeling that she's going to understand something, that everything's going to make sense. Um, that feeling, I think, is like what I'm, it's that we're right on the, it's, it's what it, kind of what I think of as peripheral magic. It's magic that's right out of the corner of your eye. And it's, to me, one of the great gifts of uh, children's books is, so there's, you know, you're, when you write for kids, you're duty bound, as Catherine Patterson says, to end with hope. And the other uh, gift of books for children is that peripheral magic. Magic is, it might not be, you know, front and center magic, magic, but there's that glimmering possibility always that you can catch sight of out of the corner of your eye. And that I'm always aware of. And in Raimi's case, it doesn't mean that what she wants comes to be. Mm -mm. 
but but something wonderful happens in any case. There's still miracles. Yeah. Right. That's true. Something that grows out of it. Though. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you've you've also talked on your website about the fact that you uh, don't have children. You have. Uh, furry children, but right. <laughs> and animals are a huge part yeah, of all your are. novels. Yeah, yeah, it's like something I've been trying to explain now, and it just gets more complicated all the time because it's just like it's animals, 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 and and I don't have any one answer for it. I think it's because I love them, and also because it's like an animal protagonist. I think we're a little bit more likely to trust. And, I, and then I think that um, the books that made me so happy when I was a kid, I think about Paddington and Stuart Little and Ralph S. Mouse, and I think that those books really, you know, those animals spoke to me. When you talk about writing, it just sounds like a vocation and a calling, and just there's such a reverence. And, and when I've read what you've written about being a writer, it's so, um, it just comes right across just, how honored you feel. Part of it is just this thing of the wonder of being able to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do, then to get to do it, and then to like, the third level of that is to connect with people. So it's not just that I have found that I'm supposed to write and that I get to write, but it's that people read what I write and I get to connect to them and it's just, it's, it is, um, it seems miraculous to me. Kate DiCamillo on her life as a writer and the privilege she feels for getting to be one. Since our interview with her, she's gone on to publish one more full-length novel, Beverly, right here. But now, to close out our podcast, we'll listen to Kate DiCamillo read a passage from her book, Ramey Nightingale. Louisiana competed in the Little Miss Central Florida Tire Contest. She wore her lucky bunny barrettes and a blue dress spangled with silver sequins. She did not twirl a baton. She sang, raindrops keep falling on my head. The contest was in the Finch Auditorium. Louisiana's grandmother was there, and Beverly was there, and Beverly's mother, and Ramey's mother, and Ramey. Ida Nee was there, but she did not look happy. Ruthie came from the hospital, and Mrs. Sylvester came from Jim Clark Family Insurance. They all sat together. Ramey's father was not there. Ramey was not surprised. She was only happy when Louisiana won the contest and was crowned Little Miss Central Florida Tire. Later, after Louisiana was presented with a check for $1,975 and also with a sash that said, Little Miss Central Florida Tire 1975, Beverly Topinski and Ramey Clark and Louisiana Elefante went to the top of the Belknap Tower, even though Louisiana was afraid of heights. I'm afraid of heights, said Louisiana, who was still wearing her crown and her sash. She kept her eyes closed and lay on the floor of the observation deck. But Ramey and Beverly stood at the railing and looked out. See, said Beverly to Ramey. Yes, said Ramey. Tell me what you're seeing, said Louisiana, who was face down on the floor and refused to stand up. Everything, said Ramey. Describe it, said Louisiana. Ramey said, I can see Swip Pond and the Swans and Lake Clara and the hospital. I can see the Golden Glen and Jim Clark Family Insurance. I can see Ida Nee's house and the Tag and Bag Grocery. I can see Building 10. What else, said Louisiana. 
I can see Ida Nee's moose head, and I can see the candy corn jar on Miss Sylvester's desk. I can see the ghost of Clara Wingtip. I can see the yellow bird from the Golden Glen. Is he flying, said Louisiana. Yes, said Rainey. What else, said Louisiana. I can see Ida Nee twirling her baton. I can see Ruthie, she's waving at us. And there's Archie, Archie and Bunny. Don't call him Bunny, said Beverly who had renamed the dog Buddy. After a while, Beverly went and picked Louisiana up and brought her to the railing. Open your eyes, said Beverly, and look for yourself. Louisiana opened her eyes. Oh my goodness, she said, we're up so high. Don't worry, said Beverly, I'm holding on to you. Ramey took hold of Louisiana's hand. She said, I've got you too. The three of them stood like that for a long time, looking out at the world. That's two-time Newbery Award-winning author Kate D. Camillo reading from her book, Ramey Nightingale, from publisher Candlewick Press, during our interview with her in the summer of 2018. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking With Authors. Remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking With Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host of the video version of this program was Brenda Madden. Photography was by Peter Foggy and Quinsana Boyd. Editor was Carrie Marks, and graphics were by Greg Kopp. The supervising producer was Julie Winkle. Production support was by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. And HEC Media Executive Director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking With Authors podcast executive producer is Christina Chastain. The podcast editor was Paul Langdon, and I'm Rod Milam, your podcast producer and host. Special thanks to Ledoux Middle School. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is HEC Media. Coming up on the next episode of Talking with Authors, we'll drop in on our conversation with Hugo, Nebula, and Arthur C. Clarke award-winning science fiction writer Anne Leckie. The author of Ancillary Justice and the two other books in that trilogy will talk about those and her then-new book, Provenance, a sci-fi story in the same universe as the ancillary books, but starring a protagonist, Ingre, with an atypical attitude for lead in that world. She feels like she's not brilliant enough, she's not beautiful enough, she's not strong enough, she's not smart enough, but she has to somehow hold her own. Science fiction and adventure stories in particular tend to like those hyper-competent heroes, right? Because you're going to go and beat up the aliens and do all the things you need to do, and, and then as a reader you're like, yeah, I can be like that, really heroic. But in real life, most of us are kind of like, oh, can we do this or not? I have to be a grown-up, and I don't know if I can be a grown-up right now. Am I strong enough to be a grown-up, right? New York Times best-selling sci-fi author Anne Leckie on the next episode of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. To make sure you get the episode as soon as it comes out, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to follow Talking with Authors on all social media platforms.